I thank my God every time I remember you, Mosaic. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and, and, and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. These words of Paul to the church at Philippi uh, ring with me as I think of how much, how much I love you all. Um, and I want you to hear what's coming as we talk about persecution, as we talk about what it means to, um, what, what, how the world is going to respond to a people who operate according to the logic of the kingdom of God. As you, as you hear that, I want you to hear, I want you to hear that love. Uh, because um, there may, because because the because the life the life of the Christian is not is not one where you are guaranteed that everybody's going to like you. Uh, the sermon title uh, in your in your bulletin says "Apostles of Stamina." This is what happens when I try to think of a fancy title before I actually write the sermon. Um, the actual sermon title is "Haters Are Your Motivators." Haters are your motivators. St. Oscar Romero became Archbishop of, of, San of San Salvador, the capital city of El Salvador, in 1977. His ministry was one that was specifically focused on caring for the vulnerable and the exploited in the midst of government repression. El Salvador was rife with fraud and other forms of corruption, and when, and when people protested peacefully, they were massacred or hunted down by death squads. And so Romero talked about it from the pulpit. He denounced the killings, he denounced the torture, the crimes of the army and of the police. In the spirit that Slim talked about last week, he denounced the violence on all sides, both the violence of the military-led government that was backed by the United States and the revolutionary left-wing violence. Now, the thing about that is that it makes you no one's friend. And so the press hated Romero. Rich Catholics attacked him, his fellow bishops thought that he was out of his lane, and on March 24th, 1980, when he was presiding over a mass, a gunman posted up outside of the church, aimed and shot him in the middle of the service, killing him. His blood was spilt on the altar, a martyr of peace. In one of his sermons, Romero said this, a church that does not provoke crisis a gospel that does not disturb, a word of God that does not rankle, a word of God that does not touch the concrete sin of the society in which it is being proclaimed. What kind of gospel is that? Just nice, pious considerations that bother nobody. That's the way many people would like our preaching to be. Those preachers who avoid every thorny subject so as not to bother anyone or cause conflict and difficulty shed no light on the reality in which they live. Powerful words backed up by a very powerful life. Today we're going to talk about persecution and what it means for you to get ready for it. Now don't, don't worry, I'm not trying to create some kind of catastrophic mentality or persecution complex as though, as though tomorrow all of our lives will be asked of us. They might. It's unlikely, but they might. The fact of the matter is that the Christian is not the person who's always on the lookout for persecution, but the Christian ought to know what to do when it comes. 
So I want us to keep St. Romero's words in your mind as we consider this text, the last of the Beatitudes and the summary of them. Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want to talk about three things this morning. What persecution is, what you get it for, and what to do when you get it. For context, brothers and sisters, this is the final beatitude, where the, where the beatitudes are, are Jesus' description of the character of the Christian. The Sermon on the Mount as a whole is, is Christ telling us, this is what a community that lives as the kingdom of God, this is what that kind of community looks like. And at a minimum, it's a group of people united to Christ and, and, and seeking to have these beatitudes actually describe their lives. But that makes this particular beatitude very interesting. Because it's, it's not about the actions of the believer. It's about the way that the world responds to the believer. That is, you don't actually have any control over this last beatitude. For all the others, you can, you can, you can cultivate habits that, 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 so you can, you can grow in these things. You can, you can cultivate habits of solidarity with the needy, habits of mercy, habits of meekness, habits of peacemaking. But you can't cultivate habits of persecution. Because you can't control how other people are going to treat you. Remember uh, Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Note, there are two really significant qualifiers in that. It's not just live at peace with everyone. It's if it is possible and as far as it depends on you. Because there might be situations where peace and reconciliation are not possible, and you don't have to feel guilty for that. You're responsible for your actions in those spaces as far as it depends on you live at peace. But Paul's pretty clear. There are going to be some situations where peace isn't possible because folks are just going to do you dirty. So what can persecution look like? Well, for you and I, it's probably not military death squads, but it could be insults. It could be judgment from other people. It could be you being seen as foolish. It could be you being isolated socially. Could be you being disowned by your family. It could be you being harassed on social media. It could be any number of things like that. The word properly means to, to persecute somebody is to, is to make them run away and then to chase them. And, and, and in a nutshell, Jesus, Jesus is saying, look, if you follow me, there are going to be some folks who are not going to like you. That's a guarantee. Matter of fact, there are going to be some folks who are devoted to your downfall. And the clinical term for these folks is haters. Now, this is what I don't want us to think. I don't want you to just get in the mode of thinking, hey, I'm a Christian, and I've got haters. Clearly, I'm doing something right. That is not entirely true. But there are plenty of folks who might, who might make that claim. You can, you, can, you can think of pastors or religious leaders who get caught in some kind of misconduct, and then, and then, they, get, and then, and then they get publicly dragged, and the response is, oh, I'm being persecuted. I'm being persecuted. You're not being persecuted. You're facing the consequences of your actions. I think of my own story, not a story of misconduct. But when I was a freshman in college, I had just enough knowledge of the faith to be dangerous. And so I was in a theater, I was in a theater focus group with a bunch of godless heathens, and, and I told them that they were godless heathens. 
And, 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 and I, wasn't, now I wasn't entirely socially ostracized, but if I were, I would have interpreted it as persecution. I would have thought, well, everybody's just against me because I'm spreading the gospel. No, Malcolm, everybody's against you because you're a jerk. And I know this, especially because there was a young woman in this program who didn't like me for precisely this reason. Even when we started dating the summer between our freshman and sophomore year, it took a few months of us dating for her to even like me. When I first asked her out, as nervous as I was, and I asked her out awkwardly as a hypothetical, and the only thing that went through her mind was, well, do I choose to have a boyfriend or not have a boyfriend? Malcolm's here, why not? <laughs> Don't worry, we, we've, been, we've been married for almost 10 years now, so it's, it's, it worked out. It worked out. But, 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 but all this is to say, don't, don't go looking for persecution. Persecution is going to come for you, according to Jesus. And it's going to do so because when, it's going to do so if you are seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You will be persecuted if you closely follow the ways of Jesus. You, it's not a might be, will. It's what the Bible says. Paul, in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, which we confessed earlier, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. Jesus, in John 15, 19 to 20, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Jesus in Mark 10, verses 29 to 30, and we're going to sit in this one for a second. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. That last text is, is, is interesting. One thing is that, well, if you leave your father, you don't get fathers in this new kingdom. You get one father, the Lord. Also, all of these things are things that are promised to you, not just in the end, but now, because, because God has gathered a community to provide these things for you, a new family, resources, all of these things. But also, with all that stuff, you get persecutions too necessarily when you live this life for the sake of christ and for the sake of the gospel that's what comes with it if you want to be a follower of christ persecution is going to be unavoidable and the beatitudes give us plenty of reason for that when you express real solidarity with the poor those who exploit the poor are not going to be happy with you when you stick up for your brother or sister or neighbor who, who's dealing with an exploitative landlord or boss and you, and, you and you stand up for them, you're sticking your neck out. There could be blowback. When you, when you robustly seek to care for the needy, folks are going to call you names. Folks have been calling me Marxist for a while. They'll call you other names. But this is, what, this is, the, work, this is the work that Christ has called us to do. I could, I could show emails, angry emails that I've received whether from my work at Baylor or, the, or, or, or work with the church. But this is the work that Christ has called us to do. When we mourn, people are going to ridicule us, telling us to just get over it, that it's, it's not that bad, that thousands of children dying in war, it's just, it's just war. That's just what happens. 
That people are going to ridicule us and argue that, that the massive, that when we mourn the massive gaps between the rich and the poor, they'll just say it's the natural consequence of an economy that's lifted up so many people as opposed to an indicator of exploitation and injustice. Our mourning is going to be ridiculed as useless and unwise, but so was Jesus' mourning. When, when, when we are meek, we're going to be stepped on. In our gentleness, people are going to take advantage of us. This is the most significant risk. And at some point in your life, if you seek to live this life that Christ has called you to live, if you seek to live a life of gentleness, someone is going to take advantage of your kindness. They did it with Jesus. When we, when we hunger and thirst after righteousness and we fight unrelentingly for justice, those who are convinced of the profitability and the power that come within justice are going to fight against it. People who have power want to stay in power. It's just kind of a general thing. And when we start questioning those things, we're going to make ourselves a target. Jesus did that too. When we're merciful, there is no guarantee that our mercy is going to be appreciated or reciprocated. Think about Jesus. When he's about to be arrested, Peter pulls the sword out, cuts off Malchus's ear, and what does Jesus do? In mercy, he heals this man and then goes off to be killed. Think about the story of, of Anabaptist Dirk Willems, who was arrested for, uh, he, was, he was arrested for rejecting infant baptism. And so he's, he's in prison and he escapes from prison. And he's chased by one of the guards. And so he crosses this, he crosses this, this frozen lake. Now, because he'd been in prison, he'd lost a little weight, so he was lighter than this guard. So he, he, crossed, he, he was able to cross the lake, but the guard did not. The guard fell through the ice. And what did Willems do? He turned around, saw this guard who was pursuing him for his life, and pulled him out of the lake. The guard then took him back to prison, and he was executed soon after. Your mercy not a guarantee of your well-being. When we, when we seek purity in heart, we're going to be ridiculed for taking things too seriously. After all, aren't we all hypocrites a little? Lighten up a little. No. Jesus wants our intentions to match our actions. Peacemakers in a, in, in a warmongering world are going to be ridiculed and persecuted. Martin Luther King and other, and other folks in the civil rights movement were thrown in jail for their peacemaking, for their resistance, for their refusal to take part in war. And if we're, if we're consistent in trying to live lives of anti-violence, a violent world is going to attempt to take us out. It's just par for the course. If we seek to go the way of righteousness... What awaits us is a world that will treat us the way that it treated Jesus. If we live lives that are saturated with the logic of the kingdom of God, saturated with love of God, saturated with love of neighbor, saturated with care for the needy, saturated with a relentless commitment to live the lives that Christ has called us to live, people are going to make fun of us. Share what you have instead of hoarding it for yourself and accumulating. Ridiculous. Couldn't be me. I got money to make. Reorient your life to, to care for the poor, for the hungry and the homeless who, who come across your path. Ah, I got a career to pursue. I got, I got a ladder to climb. You're planning to get married? Have sex with only one person for the rest of your life? That's wild. Couldn't be me, the world will say. The way of Christ is not the way of mass appeal. 
So then how ought we respond to this response? We can think about this as like a, as a, as a three-part sequence. It's we, 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 by the spirit act, act according to the logic of the kingdom of God. The world then sees us, doesn't like it, lashes out at us. What do we do in that situation? Do we languish in self-pity? Do we lament to one another that we just wish that more people would like us? Do we commiserate with each other just hoping that one day this mistreatment will stop? Well, we have an example. The church was persecuted in, in Acts 4, and their prayer was not that the persecution would stop. And actually, that's not the prayer of many of our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. Let's take a look at Acts 4, verses 29 to 30, to see the prayers of a persecuted church. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In the midst of persecution, the prayer was for boldness and that the Lord would continue to do what the Lord does best, heal. And brothers and sisters, Jesus has another word for us when we are mistreated for his name's sake. What does he want us to do? Matthew 5, verse 12, rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So obviously, that's not the first response that's going to come naturally when you get persecuted. I mean, if somebody insults me, I'm, I'm going to be upset. Might even feel a little bit insecure. If somebody chases me, I will be running away from them. If, if someone lies about me, I will probably try to defend myself. But Jesus says... Rejoice. Jesus says, be glad. Perhaps even Jesus is saying to laugh for two reasons. First, your reward in heaven is great. Frankly, we don't think about, I don't think we think about the new heavens and new earth often enough. And I pressed this a little bit uh, in a past sermon about being pure in heart, that the, that the, that the, that the, that the, that the real joy of, 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 of seeking purity in heart is that you, is that you get to see God, not just in the, not just in the hereafter, but you get to see the ways, the ways that the Lord is working even now. And there, and there's no joy greater than the joy that we'll experience when we see God. But, 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 but here's the thing. I think we need to, I think we need, I just think we need to think about heaven more. So we're just, we're going to do a little bit of that now. One of the, one of the worst things. Okay. So one of the worst things that somebody can do to you is kill you, right? So let's say they do. After you die, you enter into what the, what, the, what, the, what the Christian tradition calls the intermediate state. So this is where your soul is separated from your body, and when you die, you immediately go into the presence of the Lord. So you will immediately go into infinite joy. Your soul will experience a joy that your soul was fundamentally created for. And you will be in that state, and you're, you're, you're going to lose all concept of time in that, in that situation, because it's just going to be so awesome. But think about the life to come as increasing levels of infinity. So, because, because the fact of the matter is, is that you won't have a body yet. That's why they call it the intermediate state, because it's not the final state. Because the final state requires your resurrection. 
So you will go from the infinite joy of being in the presence of God without a body to having the infinite, the even more infinite joy of you be, of you, of the, think of all of the bodily joys that you experience now. Though all of those things are just shadows, in the, they're shadows in the light of what God has set before you. When your body is resurrected, when, when sin is, sin is not even a thought, it's not even a possibility. All there is is you and the Lord and the Lord's people. That is, a, that is the joy that the Lord is preparing for you. And so he lays this in front of you. And then he's like, look, you're worried about what these little people are saying about you? You're worried about these little worldwide systems that you think are so, so big and so whatever. Look at, look at what I'm preparing you for. That's, the, that's, that's, why, that's one of the reasons why he says rejoice when people say this little stuff about you. Don't worry about that. Keep living the life that I've called you to live because this is, I, this is what I'm setting up for you. Secondly, the prophets. This is how they treated the prophets. Those who speak and live according to the word of God are going to be ridiculed by a world that doesn't want to live in those ways. And that's okay. They ridiculed the prophets. They killed some of the prophets. We have stories in our own day of people cut down by violence for speaking the truth, for aligning themselves with the marginalized and against the powers and principalities. But the greatest of these examples is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus was ridiculed. Jesus was insulted when they, when they scourged him on the way to the cross. They mocked him. They mocked the Son of God. They spat in his face. And I can, I can imagine the Lord, after wipe, wiping the spittle off of his face, turning to you and I saying, take up your cross and come with me. That's what the invitation of the gospel is. A, a bleeding Savior wiping spittle off of his face saying, come. Come on this way. This is the way of joy. So uh, clearly, it's not the way of worldwide acceptance. But it is the way of divine acceptance. In closing the Beatitudes this way, Jesus is, is reminding us, as he is going to do throughout the Sermon on the Mount, that the opinions of the general public are not what shape our actions as the body of Christ. We do what we must because we do it for the Lord, we do it by the Lord's power, and we do it as people who have been joined together by the Lord. The Son of God lived, lived his perfect life and was, because of that life, recognized as a threat to the current world order. And so the kingdoms of the world recognized that the real king had entered into the scene, and they, 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 they saw that his every step and his every word dripped with a love that was a resistance against death and, and sin and resistance against the devil. And so, and so all, of these, all of these entities cons conspired. The, the Roman Empire conspired. Sin conspired. Death conspired. The devil conspired. They were like, we've really got to kill this guy. And so they killed him, but they did not stop him. They did not stop him because he got up from the dead. And he lived a, he lived a life where he said, I'm going to gather my people. And even when he, and after he got up, he's like, I'm still gathering my people. And so, and so after the resurrection, when he, when he breathed the Holy Spirit on his disciples, he gave them what they needed to live the life that he had called them to live. And he gave them not just the marching orders, but he gave them the weapons that they would need for the war that they would wage. He gave them the weapon of love. He gave them the weapon of peace. He gave them the weapon of prayer. He gave them the weapon of the word. He gave them the weapons of the sacraments. He gave them the weapon of, of cross-shaped community. 
You see, brothers and sisters, the Beatitudes climax here with persecution. <laughs> the picture of happiness reaches its highest point in the description of persecution. All of these Beatitudes are counterintuitive, but this is like the maximally counterintuitive one. Happy are those who are hated, persecuted, reviled, and ridiculed. Why? Because they are approved by the one whose approval matters. Brothers and sisters, we ought to go through our lives asking the Lord what he would have us do and then go and do those things. And we are often held back by what we think other people will think if we do these things. Jesus is saying, look, if you, let, me, let, me, let me just clear this up. When you follow me, some folks ain't going to like it. So all this wondering that you were doing, maybe, maybe some people aren't going to like it. Some folks are not going to like it. <laughs> but, this, but, the, but the encouragement is that we don't go through this alone. It's one of the benefits of the church. It's one of the reasons why God always calls a people to himself. It's because we are to be for one another a people who encourage each other. When, and, and when a brother or sister makes a hard decision because they're following Christ, we cheer them on. Slim mentioned Christian opposition to the military in the first three centuries. Um, and so when, a, so, when a, so when a soldier wanted, wanted to come to Christ, bishops would often tell them, hey, you've got you've to leave the military if you want to join the church. But they also said, look, when you leave them, the community that you're joining is going to support you. We have people who are going to rally around you and meet your needs because the call to sacrifice is not just a call to be left out on the street. It's a call to a community where you can, de where you can depend on one another, where you can lift one another up, you can encourage and support one another. The Beatitudes describe the individual believer, but that individual can only experience this blessed life in a community of folks with those same commitments. And my prayer throughout this entire sermon series is that we would not only individually be those kinds of people, but that we would, as a community, be able to show the world that there is a better way for us to live. And even when persecution comes, and it will, may we be bold in our love. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, but theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You and I will have haters in this life. It's guaranteed. If you don't have them now, if you continue to walk along the path that the Lord has set for you, you go and get them. But what we have to keep in mind is that what the Lord has prepared for us is greater than anything that we could ever imagine. And this is why, if you want to think about what this, how this ought to play out, kind of in the way that you think about your life on a, on a regular basis, it means we have no reason to fear none whatsoever. Because if we remember, what Christ has done for us on the cross is he has defeated all of our enemies. And the worst thing that they can do is kill us, and actually that's awesome. What are you going to do? And, and that then, that then frees you, it frees you up. One of the worst things that fear does is it paralyzes you. But if you know the one who not only cares for you, but who's got you, got you set up. We're going to talk throughout the, throughout the Sermon on the Mount of, of, of what it means for, the, for us to serve a God who, who cares for us, which includes our material needs. But, 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 but when you serve that kind of God who loves you and cares for you, you can be free to love every person who comes into your way. That's what we ought to be known by. 
And so, and so I, I, I want us to think about one of, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's Romans 19. Or sorry, not Romans 19. That doesn't exist. Uh, Revelation 19. <laughs> Revelation 19. Because, because in, this, in this text, you have, you have what, are, what are called the, it's the, it's the threefold hallelujah over Babylon's fall. And Babylon, like Babylon throughout the entirety of the scriptures represents kind of the kingdoms of the world. And what you, and what you, and what you see at the end of Revelation is that at the end, the kingdoms of this world ultimately fall. And the kingdom of God will be all that there is for the rest of eternity. Hear these words of Revelation 19. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. Verse 5, then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Verse 6, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah, for our Lord God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Brothers and sisters, this is the day that we are preparing ourselves for. And we can even taste of these joys as we sing, as we sing together. So let's sing Revelation 19.1. 